0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Ava DuVernay's 13th, a uh, documentary about racial injustice in America through the use of the federal prison system. We're also going to take a look at Old Boy, a 2003 South Korean neo noir action thriller, <laughs> <laughs> which are two, two very different films. I'm very excited to talk about it. If you listened last week, you'll notice 13th was not what we were planning on watching. But some things have come up recently in the news that you most likely heard about, uh, and we'll get a little bit more into that when we get closer to our review. First, we need to talk about the news, of course. Our first story this week, AMC Theatres has substantial doubt it can remain in business. Uh, AMC is, of course, the biggest movie theater chain in the world. Andy, how is this even possible? Well, because everyone's had to
1: be inside because of quarantine and the coronavirus pandemic. AMC has lost a ton of money. They have lost uh, over $2 billion so far uh, this year, and they don't got a whole lot of money left, but there, there is some hope on the horizon.
0: It's definitely a surprise, I think, to hear the biggest theater chain is doing poorly, right? You think of the mom-and-pop shops during the pandemic, right? You think of the small places, the little indie theaters. Those are going to be the ones that are really hurting. But it turns out those are also the ones that have the least on the line. AMC is incredibly overextended on its loans and its rents, on, on, on its local rent, on its local theaters. Uh, apparently there's something like i don't know two two billion dollars in debt or something which is crazy to me because you go to the movies and it's a sign of luxury it's a nice place it seems pretty cool the floors are pretty clean it turns out um maybe not so right yeah i mean it's
1: it's just it's a tough time for theaters, and this is every every theater all the big chains all the independent chains uh as well we've we've heard of you know smaller chains that there was a an Alamo draft house franchise in Arizona that had to restructure and was very close to uh, being bankrupt and being (laughs) liquidated. So it's just, it's a tough time. And, and also uh, what this article points out is that there's the double threat of the success of trolls world tour and, you know, high dollar video on demand.
0: It's so in in the age of the internet, it's so like perfectly poetic that the movie, the, the movie that would take down, the biggest movie theater corporation is a movie called Troll, or yeah. Trolls in this case. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a bummer, honestly. Um, I, I'm not a big AMC fan, but I, I, you know, I don't like seeing movie theaters close. It's certainly scary when the biggest movie theater chain in the world is talking about closing. Apparently, right now there's something like 2.4 billion dollars in debt. Uh, they said in a recent company statement that they have about 718 million dollars as of April, which was. Two months ago now, um, to try to make it to the end of whatever, to try to make it to when movies start coming out again and when they can get rolling. They said they believe they have the resources to reopen theaters and resume operations uh, this summer or maybe later, um, but liquidity is going to depend on when movies are coming out because the studios aren't putting movies out. There's not a whole lot they can do, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that,
1: that's the big problem is that even if theaters were opened, what would they show? What would they play? And, you know, the, there's, there's the argument or the idea that you could play, play the hits, you know, bring back Avengers or Indiana Jones or the Dark Knight series, these things. But you can only do so much of that. And, I mean, you got to fill theaters every weekend. And I don't think you can play the hits for that long. And that still costs money, licensing fees
0: yeah uh I think you're exactly right even if you wanted to run old movies you still have to pay the studios to run those you still have to pay out of pocket you can't just stick in a DVD and run it I mean you can but you can't charge ticket prices for it that's illegal um it's uh, it's a bummer, I guess. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm not a real fan of AMC. I did I did work at an AMC for a while, so uh, it's a little surreal to read a headline like this. But on the other side of the aisle, we have a story about Cinemark, the second biggest theater chain in the world. Cinemark won't require moviegoers to wear masks when theaters. Reopen. This is a completely opposite side of the aisle. Rather than saying, "Hey, we're, we may not make it. We're really in trouble." Cinemark <laughs> comes out swinging and says, "Not only are we going to make it, we're we're totally flying free when things open up, right?"
1: We're going to take everyone with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so they they're planning to open on this uh, set of four. F- Phases where they're opening. I think June 19th is when they're going to start opening. And they hope to be fully open by June 10th. Um, during this time, that they're going to kind of revamp some of their. Policy, things like cleaning policies are going to be revamped, making sure everything's super clean. They're going to be bringing in some, you know, like plastic shields for for concessions. Uh, box office is going to be no touch. So they're working on these kinds of changes, and they're also going to have a staggered or limited seating in all their theaters. So they are taking steps, but one of the steps they're not taking is that they, they will not be forcing patrons to uh, to wear a mask. That will be completely optional.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I think it's intriguing to see how a big theater chain is planning on opening back up, right? It's the same same way I look at like something like Disney uh, opening up amusement parks again. They're kind of setting a precedent here of how other people will likely do it. And as far as I know, Cinemark is kind of the first big one to say, hey, here's our plan. And it's exactly what you said. They're going to limit seating. They're going to, I think, take temperature at the door, right, with those head fa- forehead scanner i'm not even sure yeah if they're they, doing they that, may, yeah,
1: yeah. i'm not sure if they're doing that yeah but
0: they, uh well i i hope but you know whatever um they're they're not making you wear masks one of the things that was really interesting to me here is their cut back on concessions they're cutting a lot of employees which is a big bummer because again i definitely did some time behind a concession stand when i was in high school i know how that feels and they're cutting out a lot of vendors apparently to cut down costs they're going to stop carrying so many like high dollar concession items they may Reduce cost a little bit uh, to kind of cushion people getting back in. And then they're going to start introducing a full menu back slowly. That's interesting to me. I don't think that's such a bad idea.
1: Yeah, I, couldn't, I, I would love, I think everyone would love to see concessions come down uh, a bit in price. But I, I imagine th- they'll probably still be as expensive. They'll just be cheaper for the, the theater. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting that the steps Cinemark is taking to be able to reopen.
0: Yeah, it, it really is, and like I said, a very stark difference from somebody like AMC, who's, who doesn't seem to really have a plan, but they've definitely come out and said, we have a problem with Universal running Trolls World Tour on their own, and we're running out of money, so I, I don't know, I guess. Um, different strokes for different theater chains. Uh, the other piece of news we have isn't actually an article, but it's actually a film trailer that came out just today which is very different for us because normally we do this show and like the next day cool trailers come out and we're always a step behind. But today, yeah, we we're on top of it. it. Andy, what is this movie? So this is Bill and Ted Face the Music. Sorry. <laughs> it is. I know, we didn't really stage that, but I, you know, whatever. Bill and Ted Face the Music. There's a trailer out for the new Bill and Ted movie. Starring starring Alex Garland and Keanu Reeves, and I'm running it on screen so people watching on Facebook can see it right now. That's great. Yeah, so so what we see in, in the trailers, we we meet
1: uh, Bill and Ted 25 years after the, their last film, and uh, they're apparently they had a mission to, you know, re- reunite or kind of save humanity through music and uh, they've been trying to write this great song their whole lives and they can't really figure it out and so they decide say hey why don't we go to the future and find our future selves and find this song and then bring it back to the people and when they do we get some uh, big surprises so we get to see a little bit of of this is more of a teaser. We don't see see a whole lot, but we get to see Bill and Ted. Uh, also, their daughters are part of part of this adventure. And uh, I didn't really get that from the trailer; I had to read it elsewhere. But uh, they're they have two daughters that, that will accompany them on the the adventure. But it's it was
0: pretty cool to to see them. What did you think? Uh, I'm oddly excited about this movie. I don't think it looks good. Let me me be clear. I don't think the look is particularly outstanding. It looks real hokey and cheesy and like it's not going to hold up to what the original was at all, right? But I think there's some elements in here that work, right? Because Bill and Ted, the whole idea was, yeah, these two stoner losers uh, who have a band in high school. Um, are supposed to go on to, to create music that will unite the world, right? And then they get to the end of their lives or, or their midlife crisis, I guess, and surprise, surprise, they haven't done it. It just never happened. And so maybe, maybe the solution is we have to go into the future or, or past or whatever using time travel and steal it from somebody. That's actually kind of clever. That's not the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> I, I don't hate that. I like that the guy who played Death is back. William, I forget his name. He's back here. Uh, he looks like he's wearing a ton of prosthetics to make his face look like it used to, but he's also wearing makeup, so it's fine. It looks like there's way too much green screen in CGI. I heard they're going to use some stock footage of George Carlin to put Rufus back in the movie. That's cool. When you're playing around with time travel and interdimensional travel, I think there's some possibilities. Um, there's also a ton of margin for error. It's like huge. You could mess this up so bad. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, if the next trailer or two that comes out looks okay. I would have no problem going to see this for the show. I have a feeling the next trailer won't look great. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Well, what do you think?
1: I, I'm excited to see this. Um, I don't really remember the first two movies real well, so I'll have to go back and watch, watch them. I think what excites me the most is the fact that we're getting a new trailer and a new release date, which is August 21st. And that is starting to then feel like we're getting back to the movies. Like, we're going to be able to go back to the movies. I think that's what I'm more excited about than anything.
0: Yeah, me too. So, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be okay. Yeah, and you're right. Overall, getting back to the movies is most exciting. Seeing August 21st on there, I think is it's an optimistic date right like that seems realistic to you yeah exactly
1: i i think that that's doable and that's when you know um we're supposed to also expect wonder woman 1984 in august and if tenet doesn't make its july 17th release it will uh be released in august
0: yeah and that'll be good so you know See what happens there and with that we should move on to our first review of the episode that about wraps news for the week This one is a little different and I'm taking the summary for this one. So uh, Excuse me if I'm a little clumsy if you can hear my review around uh, my foot in my mouth, that'll be good So we watched this little movie called 13th One out of four human beings with their hands on bars shackled in the world are locked up here in the land of the free uh, we didn't originally plan on watching 13th. Let me see if I can get this pulled up. There it is. We didn't originally plan on watching 13th. We were supposed to watch The Last Days of American Crime on Netflix. Uh, and and some news has been going on. Some things have been going on in the world. Uh, namely, a series of protests uh, around the country following the death of George Floyd uh, by a police officer in Minneapolis. Um, it's some harrowing stuff. And it's normally not something we get into on, on off-script. Uh, but we... Talked about it a little bit, and we looked at what we were going to watch, and we decided, you know what? um, Maybe this is the week we get into it. I think it's important to voice your beliefs uh, when something is is really important to you. Um, I think it's important to challenge your social circles. I think talking about this on this podcast is a little bit of that, in a way. So. We need to talk about this movie. What is 13th? 13th is a documentary made by Ava DuVernay, the director of uh, A Wrinkle in Time, which we've watched previously on the show. Uh, A documentary that came out in 2016 about racial injustice in America through the implementation uh, and subsequent carrying out of a radically, I think it's safe to say racist, uh, series of federal... Federal grants and bills that have emboldened the U.S. Uh, justice system and and prison system to, um, it's the best way to say this to to uh, elite to lock up people of color. That's 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 how I think to say that. Um, it is a harrowing watch. It is a hundred minutes. It is challenging, uh, and I think challenging is good right now. Right? I think I think challenging is good for people. Um, <laughs> here's. We're running the trailer now so you can see a little bit of it uh, if you haven't seen it before. It is on Netflix. The film is actually completely free to watch on YouTube as well. Uh, I found it on there today. Netflix published it themselves. Um, It is four years old and in the strangest way it feels like it was made yesterday. Um, Andy, what did you think of 13th? Um, Well, just a little bit
1: backstory on, on my relationship with this film. I've purposely actually avoided this because I knew it would be hard to watch. I knew that it would be infuriating and saddening and tragic and all those things. And so I had actually purposely avoided this movie and it is all those things, but I think it is important to watch and to know and to educate yourself about the situation. It's not just about the prison industrial complex. It's about how, um, you know, black people and people of color, after slavery were never really achieved freedom you know after slavery there was because it goes through the whole f- system after slavery there was basically chain gangs where they were you know getting pe- people were getting arrested for no reason and be- getting put in chain gangs basically free labor um during reconstruction and then you had um segregation then you had jim crow and it was just like it, it, it one of the things they touch on is that you, they never kind of got past slavery; just reinvented itself in different ways that were more acceptable to to the public. Um, I think this is an incredible film. It's it's so well made. It's very it is very hard to watch, uh, and it but it's very educational. I like I, and a lot of it are is things that I've known about or read about before, but I still you know learned a few things. But it, it's it's hard to watch these things, but but you see how through. Uh, federal initiatives from changing administrations all these things that were aimed um to control and to incarcerate uh people of color uh, and especially the black population and it happened from both sides of the administration or both sides of the aisle
0: yeah um there's a lot of kind of stark news in this and i'm 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 ashamed of a handful of things watching this film. Uh, one of them most prevalent being I had no idea this movie existed. And I think a lot of people didn't, right? It's documentary. Lots of people don't watch documentaries. Uh, I watch a few, uh, so I'm a little bummed this one got by me, especially because I once saw Wrinkle in Time and looked up Ava DuVernay before I did, and I'm sure I saw this movie on a list somewhere and just didn't even think about it. Maybe that's because of the small title. Maybe it's because I was a bit more small-minded. Um, but uh, this, this movie is striking. The first first about hour of this hundred minute romp through history uh is is really tough to get through and then it only gets harder and 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 it's tough to get through not because it's like poorly put together quite the opposite the presentation here is fantastic and want to talk about that it's tough because the first hour is basically just a history lesson it walks you through slavery through jim crow laws through through white versus colored water fountains to to Nixon and Reagan to Clinton and George Bush uh, up to where we are now because this film was made in 2016. So uh, it's it's tough it's tough um, because there's a lot here that that I didn't really know about. And I'm ashamed to say that because my, my, my dad is a history teacher and you'd think I would have learned more about this stuff. And, and it's not that I don't think he knew it. It's it's not like I ever took his his class or anything, but you know, it just kind of got by me a little bit. I think this stuff gets by a lot of us, and I think that's why it's so frustrating to look at. Um, It's presented so starkly with with a combination of archival footage and these these beautifully shot interviews uh, with subjects from all over the world, all over the country, talking about history, talking about politics, talking about how we got here, lending perspectives, um, people of all colors. Uh, We've got everybody from Newt Newt Gingrich to... um, Gosh, Cor- I don't know. I and mean, Cory Booker. Cory Booker, yeah. Uh, there's there's a ton of really cool interviews in here, uh, and they're all shot on these... Well, hold on, I've, I've been talking a lot. Andy, Andy, go ahead, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, so th- there's history in here. There's uh, the media itself has indicted, because uh, so much of the kind of crime initiatives that happened after the civil rights era, um, all, a lot of that depended on fear-mongering from the news. You know, there would be one terrible crime and they would come up with laws that would affect millions and millions of people based on you know very few but very scary incidents on, on the media and that goes back even to um the 1915 a uh, birth of a nation uh, which is one of the oldest uh films in, in like the american filmography and it's it's about the the ku klux klan and it has even in that it's this fear specifically of like the black rapist and it's you know where where many kind of fears were kind of created and damaging stereotypes and mythologies were started and and have been perpetuated for over a hundred years now.
0: Right. Uh, the film is called Thirteenth because it is addressing the Thirteenth Amendment uh, to the United States Constitution, which says uh, slavery is abolished unless you are imprisoned. Right. And that's that's kind of kind of the angle here that through prison we are. Enslaving people, um, we get there, right? As, as the film goes on, but it doesn't just happen overnight. This takes hundreds of years uh, to develop, and it's 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 almost easier to watch the stuff that happened a long time ago because you can disconnect from it. But as the film starts to catch up with current day, and we start to get into modern policies, and we start to get into uh, um, modern administrations, and you start to see years of your life flashing on screen, and you realize, oh, this happened when I was this age, this was going on when I was doing this, I didn't vote in at this time, and this is what was on the table, and I didn't do anything, like, you really just start to get this general sense of, like, awful, um, I'd say dread, but that doesn't even quite, quite, quite do it, um, and, and it, it, it hurts, <laughs> it's hard to watch, and I think that's what, it's part of what makes this so powerful, um, I'm hard-pressed to think of a documentary that made me feel this way. Like it's, it and it's there it's stark in a way that like I think a lot of people would almost be afraid to watch it. Um, and you shouldn't. <laughs> because it's because re- it's because it's really really good. It's such a good documentary and it's done so well and it's presented so plainly. Um, it does not draw a narrative. It does not beat around the bush. It just says, Hey, here's what's ha- Here's what happened. Here's the deal. Here's how we got here. Here's a ton of footage of inmates. Um, it's, it's, it's a bummer, man. We've got a number of interviews that kind of highlight what's going on. And these interviews are non-consecutive, right? It's not just one person talking about one part of history and another person talking about another part of history and another person talking about another part of history. Each one of these interviewers is jumping around in time. And, and, and these clips of what they say is strung together in a storyline format so you can understand, okay, we're going from A to B to C to D. And these interviews all have these really stoic, uh, really incredible speakers, uh, influencers, educators, um, politicians even, um, often sitting against what, what's a very textured wall, some kind of brick or woodwork or paint or something in these wonderful locations that are beautifully lit. And all of them are pulled way back from the camera way back. Nobody's in your face. Nobody's got a shot like you might be seeing on Facebook of us right here. It's the cameras across the room from them. And they're often not in the center of frame. They're off to the side. And it it starts to paint this wonderful visual tapestry of, of variety and, and color and diversity um, in a way that's so creative. And, and, and that's just for the single shots uh, for any kind of motion during these interviews we also have a camera that's rotating around our interviewers uh, um, in like a semicircular fashion and the camera will we'll cut to that on occasion of of the shot in motion for shot for, for for moments that are particularly powerful uh the camera moving around somebody that's sitting still it's it's really creative very creative cinematography for a documentary uh and that's intercut of course with um stock footage uh, of of events that have happened, lynchings, riots, uh, prison footage, all kinds of things. Um, it's some, it's, it's some really powerful stuff visually. So it's really well done. Yeah. The, the, there's a lot of, like you said, there's stock footage, um, from the,
1: I mean, from going back a hundred years ago, uh, as well as the interviews. And there's also like graphs that there's animations that we also see between, uh, the different parts of the, of the movie, uh, that illustrate just a lot of the statistics. Like, you know, in, in 1970, there were this many prisoners in 1980, this many, and you just see it eventually begin uh, to skyrocket based off these initiatives that were implemented between the basically the seventies, eighties and nineties.
0: Um, I do want to talk about the feeling, feeling of timelessness in this film. Uh, like I said at the top, uh, this movie was made in 2016, um, it does not feel like a film that was made four years ago. <laughs> it feels it feels like something that was made last week, and that's maybe just because it's trending on Netflix now. Uh, it's maybe because it's more popular and your favorite podcasters are talking about it, but um, it is crazy how what's happening in this film feels relevant, especially with what's going on now. Um, towards the end of the film, we get some really powerful imagery of... Um, well, like the, la- the last kind of third
1: uh, of the last part of the documentary is about police brutality. And we get shown some very graphic um, footage of black people being killed by police officers, uh, dash cam footage or um, footage from uh, what do you call body cam. Uh, and this is, I mean, that's the main reason we're having these uh, protests uh, right now Um and so we see that and it doesn't shy away from from the graphicness of it. And I, it reminded me a lot of um, Black Klansmen, how at the end of that, uh, I had purposely avoided watching the footage of the Charlottesville um, riot or when the guy drove into the crowd. I, I had avoided that on purpose because it's it's a horrible thing to see, um, and it's at the end of Black Klansmen, um, and it's it's important to watch these things as horrible a, as they are. And that's how I felt at the end of this as well because you're forced to watch just person incident after incident after incident of just unbridled police brutality.
0: Yeah. And it's hard. Um, not only because it's horrible and you don't want to see it because it's genuinely violent and this film doesn't shy away from that. It just shows it. Uh, it shows the footage as we have it, um, which is horrifying and it's to drive home a point, right? <laughs> It's it's perfect punctuation uh, at the end of everything you see in this film, the history of black oppression and, and really people of color being oppressed in America. Um, and it's a tough watch, but it's important. Um, I think I think like most strong documentaries, it's important. It's hard. It's hard to look at. But I think maybe maybe that's a little bit of the point. Right. Yeah, exactly. If, if you know, if a documentary is making you a little upset, it's not doing its job. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad we, we we took a step away from what we normally do on this show and and talked about this. Normally on on off script, we are more angled to the escapism that a film offers. Right? You can you can go sit in your theater and you can get away from the world for a little bit and you can escape to a new land. And you can watch a movie and 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 this is not that. <laughs> this is the exact opposite of that. Uh, this this movie should make you want to go out and 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 put a sign together and go March. Um, and that's, that's good. I think, I, I think I'm, I'm glad we're talking about that. That feels more relevant now. It's a little weird to talk about, but like I said, it's important to challenge your social circles. Um, this is a challenging thing. And I'm, 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 glad we're talking about it, Andy. That's, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, yeah. Yeah,
1: and it's funny because you, you kind of came to me with this idea and I was, had been thinking that as well. That I was like, maybe we should watch something that's uh, topical. Also, apparently, the movie we we're gonna watch got a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm really glad we changed.
0: It's not important. It's not the reason we switched. We just found out a couple days after we decided to switch. <laughs> hey, it also has a strong zero on on Rotten. So that's true. We may no. I'm kidding. Who am I kidding? We're not. We're not gonna end up watching that movie, right? There's no, no way. Especially since uh, it was no. two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's two and a half hours, and that's not great for a zero. Um, Anyway, we should wrap our discussion about this a little bit as a documentary. I think this film is powerful, but, but just like black Klansman, I think of it more as a film essay, right? Than a documentary. And I guess that's what documentaries are, but this has more to say than just documenting what happened. (laughs) It's doing, it's doing more than that. Like most good documentaries do. Um, And I think that's where it really counts. Um, I really appreciated this movie. I, I really appreciate what it's doing. It's a tough watch. Um, it's difficult to recommend, but it's definitely something worth recommending. I think, uh, Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? No, I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Thirteenth? Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's I mean, it should be required viewing for all Americans, uh, so you can really understand the the situation or what. Black people have gone through since slavery Because everyone thinks that oh well, you've been free for 150 years you know why is why Aren't things better but it it's it, That's really not, not the case and this Documentary helps show you why that's Not the case um, There are I mean strong content Warning I mean there's a lot of things in this movie That are difficult to watch so just Be aware of that
0: Yeah I, I'd, I'd recommend it As well like I said I, I It's a tough recommendation because normally I like to say well who would I recommend this to I think Andy might be right. This this might be like required viewing. Um, This might be right up there with. um, Reminds me of something like like I don't know like Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah, I was gonna say this feels like something you should be like kids should be watching in school. Like this this should be seen as some kind of history lesson because I think there's a lot to take away from this. This isn't just a lesson about oppression. This is a lesson about how a system can continue to oppress its people without them being aware of it, um, without them doing anything about it. And that's horrifying um, in any aspect, especially because it's actually been happening and not a whole lot's been done. Um, I, I like this movie a lot. It, it's, it's, it reminds me of what Andy says, right? Sometimes you gotta, you gotta eat your veggies uh, when it comes to film. And this, this film is the biggest, the the biggest, healthiest vegetable of all. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, mm hmm. Yeah, and that's that's how I feel. Go go see Thirteenth. It is available on Netflix. It is available on YouTube for free in its entirety. I don't think there are any ads on it either. Um, it's there. There is no excuse not to watch this film. Thirteenth is fantastic. You should absolutely go watch it. If you need any kind of primer on what is happening in the world today, this is the best example I've seen so far. <sighs> And with that, we should move on to our next section. Uh, speaking of protests, Andy's got an article that I haven't read. <laughs> and I'm excited mm. to talk about it. Uh, Andy, what what is this about?
1: Yeah, so this kind of plays into uh, 13th, which we just talked about. Uh, this article by The Hollywood Reporter called Protest, Backlash, and the Failings of Superhero Culture. Uh, and this is an excellent article. It's very long. Uh, but it's about how our kind of obsession with superhero films and cultures and mythos has very poorly transferred into any kind of real life heroism. How we love he- heroes who stand up for what's right and what's good, uh, but what, but when we comes comes to real life injustice, we don't do anything about it, or we're very reluctant to. Um, and, and so that's that's what it's referring to in the failings of, of superhero culture. We love to see it on screen, but it
0: doesn't really reflect too much in real life. This is a, it's a tough read. Uh, one, because it's very long. <laughs> but two, because it feels a little true, right? In a way that maybe, uh, maybe something like this shouldn't. Um, superhero movies are supposed to depict... A bit of a bit of a Wild West character, right? Our hero that rides into town, uh, saves the day from from Black Bart and his gang of hoodlums or whatever, who's going to rob the local saloon. Pat's Pat's the local kid on his head and says, "Someday you'll be just like me, kid, if you eat your weedies." And then rides out of town. And we we have seen this story. A, a dozen bajillion times because it's every superhero movie. They all follow that format in some capacity. Um, and and yet, <laughs> when there's problems in our world, we still, I, I don't know, lean on that in a way that somebody's going to do something about it, that, that we're going to have some... A, a higher power or, or gift from above or elected official that is just going to change everything for us or, or maybe some superhero that's going to just going to come in and, and figure it all out. And it turns out none of that is seemingly true. Well, that's yeah, that's
1: exactly you're touching on one of the points that it makes is uh, James Mangold actually said this about while we love superheroes, he said that it, it it's problematic and that it, it kind of has this over overall message that gods will save us that we there's nothing we have to do ourselves and uh, another issue that, that this um, article brings up is that villains in uh, in superhero films are largely external or foreign you know um, Nazis are villains a lot of times and that's great because it's well it's it's a non-american thing and it's something in far away in the past and I don't really know what you know something like Indiana Jones is a good example like these are the bad guys but they're they're not close to home. Um, and that you can say that about a lot of superhero properties that their villains aren't anyone internal or, or nearby or or you know things like a corrupted official. We we do get a little bit more to, of that in something like the the Dark Knight and of course um, the Watchmen HBO series took on that uh, head on. But th- that is one of the things we we don't really have or our villains are always exotic, foreign, exterior, and and that creates kind of this disconnect to anything resembling real life
0: yeah it's it's a weird thing because you like to look at superhero movies and imagine that people like going to see them because we like the story of the person saving the day right and and it makes you wonder a little bit maybe that's not what American audiences are into maybe the reason we like superhero movies as much as we like Transformers and Fast and Furious films is because we like explosions and we like popcorn um, America loves the idea of a little bit of chaos right not 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 too much sex. Just chaos. Uh, we we love <laughs> the idea of a renegade cop, right? We love the idea of of Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon being a crazy-eyed cop with a, with a, with a with a black buddy, and we we love the idea of John McClane in Die Hard, who's just trying to get by another day on the job, right? Um, and yet, our 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 police don't seem to be seen in that light, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a, another great point that the article talks about is that a lot of times superheroes are aligned with government agencies or police like, like you said, sometimes, uh, you know, Batman and Jim Gordon or the Gotham city PD, you know, he, he's, they're aligned together. Um, they fight alongside each other, but then that, like you said, it's a huge disconnect in the real life when that it, the police are the problem at this, this moment in, in history
0: yeah, and and that doesn't exactly help. Uh, I think the public's perception. Um, people are conflicted, right? Obviously, obviously, people are conflicted about about the police and where things are, and people are conflicted about the state of the world. Um, and superhero movies, in a weird way, for how much money they've made, for how many people have seen them, it doesn't seem like we've learned a whole lot. Uh, it doesn't seem like we've you learned know. anything.
1: Yeah, like I said, when it comes to actually standing up against real oppression and real standing up for what's right, then no one wants to actually <laughs> do that because it's it's. I mean, it's scary, and that's I understand that, but right. it's um, it, it's also not going to happen if if you don't.
0: Sure, and it's not a filmmaker's job to say, "Hey, uh, superheroes aren't really real, kids. You need you need to stand up to this stuff yourself." That's not what Captain America is supposed to be, like, I mean, maybe that's what he's supposed to be ideologically, but, like, the, the filmmakers behind Captain America and Iron Man, like, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to make a fun action blockbuster for parents to go see with their kids. I get it. There are superhero films that reach further, right? You can look at something like uh, uh, Infinity War or, or or Civil War, right? Uh, um, Captain America yeah. Civil War, when, when they've got this question of, hey, what does it mean to have... <laughs> Overreach. Overreach. Sure. You've got, you got man of steel, the first DC film, which is, which is questioning what, what does it mean to be basically a God? Right. And then the subsequent films following that questioning, what does it mean to have Superman and and have a person who basically has unlimited power to do what they want? You've even got movies like suicide squad heroes who are basically anti villains who, who are anti heroes who are still saving the world. Even they don't really want to, and and to step away from DC for a second, get into Andy's, Probably favorite superhero film, Logan, this James Mangold film, the story of an old superhero who's weary and tired, and about as human as you can be, right? It's this idea that superheroes are not perfect. Superheroes are far from perfect. in fact, if anything, they're human and they have human problems just like the rest of us. Filmmakers are trying to, to, to make those bigger stories in the, in the superhero world. But I don't know if audiences are, are as interested in that. I think I think maybe general audiences just want to see explosions. And they just want to eat popcorn, and no, and that's just what they want, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: there, there's an argument for a certain formula that works, and that people are comfortable with. And you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a it's a business. But it, like I said, it is interesting just to point out that our obsession with heroes hasn't transferred into person, any kind of personal heroics. Um, I think the the and this isn't even a film; it's it's a series, the HBO series, um, the the big thing that they're fighting against is this white supremacist conspiracy front and center. And that show unabashedly takes on racism in the modern day. Uh, and I remember when it came out, people were upset because of that. They said, Oh, why is this getting political? Why do I have to, why am I having to watch a show with social issues? Like, I don't want to see my, my superhero stuff deal with social issues. I come to see this to escape or something like that. Um, that was probably the best it's been done, and it's been shown that you can write a, th- a superhero mythology and still
0: address real life issues, important yes, issues, social issues. You're referring to Watchmen on HBO, yeah, which is fantastic, yes. by the way. Um, we didn't cover on this show because it's not a film, but you know, maybe someday we'll do a little mini series review or something. Um, yeah, again, like it's it's not it's not a filmmaker's job to change the world. It just isn't. Uh, it's their job to make a movie that people are gonna laugh at and and, and watch and maybe contemplate and like um, but it is maybe our job to learn something from the stories we're told and and it doesn't seem like we've taken away a whole lot and and again it, it, I'm not saying people need to to, to to go get a shield made of adamantium and 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 learn how to fly uh, to change the world but like it doesn't seem like it should take as much as it does and maybe that's maybe that's a danger of these films maybe maybe superhero movies do glorify change in a way that says, hey, you have to have a super suit and you got to have superpowers to do anything, you know? Um, maybe that's the downside.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's what this article is really arguing. It's about, so far, the, the mythos has been very, um, it's, it's a fantasy, it's the enemies are, are foreign, we're saved by gods, and maybe we can find a way to write these stories that are more pertinent i guess and, and like i said i'm, I'm going to keep referring to to watchman because the, the main character or there uh angela abar played brilliantly by regina king is one is she's one of the most important figures who helps kind of solve the, this mystery and d- defeat the enemy and she's a regular
0: person right <laughs> she's not she doesn't there's nothing special about her uh she's just determined <sighs> i don't know yeah that's that's what that's that's about and i I thought it was very interesting it's definitely Uh, interesting yeah uh food for thought i think which is something we probably all need more of lately um and with that we should probably any thoughts before we move on andy i i know you cut out a couple times i want to make sure no i i think just
1: um yeah i i think it's it's definitely time to reevaluate our our love affair with comic book properties and superheroes and see how we can more tie them into the real world
0: yeah, I'll definitely be interested to see, like, what does a Marvel movie look like on the other side of all this, right?
1: You know, and and they did point out, the article points out something like Black Panther, which, you know, was the first kind of black lead film made by Marvel. And while that's a very positive thing, it's also completely fantastical. Wakanda is is a fake country in Africa that has been untouched, that was untouched by, you know, slavery and colonialism and all those things. And that's, well, that's incredible. That's great to imagine. That's not what happened. That's not the, the situation.
0: Yeah. um, Black Panther definitely has an odd space uh, in superhero films. It's funny yesterday, just yesterday I was working on another podcast and and they had a couple of, um, of, of guests on talking about black lives matter. And, and, and both the guests said, Hey, uh, what was the last film? You've ever you remember that had a budget of over seventy million dollars and a black ensemble cast, and they both said at the same time Black Panther. <laughs> it's in mm-hmm. a strange space, um, still important. I think. Uh, I think. I think superhero movies are just important in general. I really do. I, I don't. I don't think you have a cinematic movement for nothing. Um, but I, I, I wish we were getting the right lessons out of them, and we don't seem to be. Right.
1: Well, yeah. and and you know. It would be fine if we like they they the way that they are now would be fine if we did get the right lessons about it. If you know, if we see Captain America fight a Nazi and that translate into you stepping up for you know standing up for your neighbor, that would be great. But that's not what's happening.
0: No. (laughs) Yeah, we're all just as angry as ever. Speaking of angry, we should move on to our final review. Uh, This is a movie Andy has seen more than a few times. Uh, And I have never seen before this week, but always wanted to. So I'm excited to get into it. Andy, please, you're a fan. Take it away. Old boy.
1: This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, It's... The south It's the film that got me into South Korean cinema back in 2003, 2004, um, and I will be that guy that says I was into Korean cinema before it was cool. Because um, I- al, You've I, always I,
0: been that guy, Andy, yeah. <laughs> I
1: have. Um, but this was a film that did it, and it, I watched, I remember watching it on cassette, because uh, my, my good friend Jeff worked at Blockbuster, um, and and he rented it. So the story is we meet Odesu at the very beginning of the film who's uh we we meet him drunk in a police station in 1988 he's belligerent he's rude he's crass you know he's being arrested for being too drunk eventually his friend comes and gets him out of the police station they stop by a phone booth to make a call and out of nowhere seemingly on this rainy night Odesu is kidnapped and taken to some sort of prison um that looks a bit like a hotel. He's there, he's held against his will, and he's never told why. And we eventually realize that he's he's there for a couple of months, and then he's eventually there for what will be 15 years. While he's there, he's never told why he's being imprisoned, who has imprisoned him, when he's gonna get out, any of these uh, situations. And so the movie is then, um, after he gets out, he has to then figure out why he was in prison, who imprisoned him, why every everything happened? Uh, this is such an um, just an amazing movie. It's it's a thriller. It's a mystery. It's a detective uh, piece. There, there's deep themes. There's great camera movement. There's great. Uh, I love the score. I could go on, go on and on and on. Uh, but definitely one of my favorite movies of
0: all, of all time. Uh, Zach, what do you think? So, I had heard a lot about this movie um, through the internet, most of which being, hey, don't talk about Old Boy for people that haven't seen it. I'd still seen a couple of scenes, because um, it's got a bit of a cult following. I had I, heard whispers of kind of a twist at the end of the film, um, which were confirmed to be true when I saw it. And even having seen the highlights, even knowing part of how it ends, even having seen some of the... Brilliant fight scenes that are in this film, some of the fantastic choreography, some of the great cinematography, some of the very creative, inventive shots and production that were involved here. Um, even being a movie that's made in two thousand three, none of that spoiled this experience for me. Old Boy is such a cool (laughs) movie, man. This movie was so much fun to watch. It's different and it's weird because you gotta think like how Almost like something like The Matrix is weird now, because it was made in 99, and it's just a little offbeat, and it's supposed to be futuristic, but it's made in a time that was previous. This is kind of similar in that feel. Things don't feel quite organic and real, but it's this weird dreamlike experience that you end up walking through with Odesu o- that is so interesting and the movie just unfolds similar to how something like parasite does right another south korean film that obviously we're both big fans of um it just kind of finds its way because because at the beginning just the premise is interesting guy gets kidnapped is locked in a room for 15 years then he gets set free that that by itself could be a whole movie that's like half this movie (laughs) that's that's act one Yeah, there's a whole other chunk Andy has not talked about and I am not going to talk about that's going on following that and the movie gets deeper and it keeps going. I was so, so into this movie and I need to watch it again because I was skeptical at first, then surprised, then pleasantly surprised (laughs) and before I knew it, it was over. Uh, Where do we start talking about this, Andy? Oh, man,
1: Uh, I think I think we can start with the plot. Uh, without giving uh, too much weight even though this movie is 17 years old at, at this point. Um, this is almost like a reverse mystery because like we said he gets released in in the first like 20 minutes and you you meet uh, the antagonist uh, man named Li Wu Jin who is uh, who is the, the person who who puts him away. Um, you meet him in the first act as well but that's not what the the mystery is why did li wujin imprison odesu and that's the the real mystery and and what what's incredible to me is that it like i said it's a detective story in a lot of ways where he has to slowly piece together and take small clues to to get to the next clue to to find find certain people who know information and it seems like every time you uncover one truth you uncover five questions like it gets more and more not confusing but more and more intriguing the deeper you go
0: yeah, so, so I told Andy when I was watching this, um, there is a bit where Odesu arrives back at the place where he was held captive. Uh, he he follows his tracks, is able to reverse engineer, like like any good detective, uh, how how he got to where he was, and finds the place where he was being held, his his prison for fifteen years, which is this very surreal looking hotel room uh, with a fake window and a TV, um, and it's. It, and I thought to myself, uh, okay, well, we're basically there. And I, I, check, I checked the time on the movie, and I was like a third of the way through it. And I was like, what is supposed to happen for the rest of this film? Because <laughs> any other film, that would basically be it. Okay, he figured it out. No, that there's so much more that he hasn't figured out. And that's what's so interesting. You have a man who is, at on his face, completely uninteresting. You got a drunk guy in a police station who's like middle-aged and it's kind of overweight... And there's nothing going on for him, and he gets—you don't even know what he does for a living. You know, you don't even know any of his family. You see, you see one friend of his at the beginning, and and he makes a call to his to his daughter, who's very young, and that's it. And then he gets kidnapped. Like you don't have any character set up. You you just have a guy who's locked in a room for 15 years. So on top of figuring out how he got there and what happened, you have to find out who it is you're watching. Who are we watching as the audience? Who are we uncovering as this protagonist? What is he about? Where is he from? How did he get here? What are his motivations? What is he like as a person? Um, We're able to draw a lot of conclusions. We're able to, to kind of figure out who we think he is by watching him in this room for the first 20 minutes of the film, which is supposed to be 15 years, which is rapidly accelerated. But then as the movie goes on, you start to find out, okay, no, he's got a little bit of a history. There's a bit of a past, right? There's a reason somebody would want to lock him in a room for 15 years. It doesn't just happen for no reason. And then once we figure that out, we have to figure out okay, well, why did they set him free, right? Why did they let him out? Because that's just as interesting as how he got in there. And it just kind of keeps unraveling like this little puzzle <laughs> yeah. box, right? You just keep finding out more and more as it goes. And it's 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 we need to talk about the presentation, but the plot is is just so so engaging in such a weird way and it's presented like Andy said, almost like almost like Todd Phillips The Hangover. Um, as a man who has to reverse engineer this mystery, and that's the neo noir element of it. It's a detective who's following in his tra- following his own footsteps. It's 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 like Blade Runner, right? It's somebody who's following fo- following clues and following up on leads that nobody would think to follow up on because it's all he's got. He has nothing else on his life at this point. He's been off the planet for fifteen years now, and nobody knows he exists. Um, everybody thinks he's dead. So. I don't know like you, you just get this really interesting like man with no name uh, uh story of a guy just trying to figure it
1: out well what's interesting when when he's in prison the, the first you know several years he's trying to escape you know and he he attempts to like commit suicide as well and 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 that's the thing his captors won't let him be that lucky they they restrain him they they patch him up they make sure he 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 can't um about halfway through or so, he decides, he gives up on escape and decides to go on this quest for revenge. And he, he begins training within his hotel room, starts like fake boxing against the wall. He starts keeping a journal. Let me think of who is, who have I wronged? Who who could possibly, I have upset that, who could have put me in here? And he starts planning and training and all these things. So his, eventually he, he goes from wanting to escape to wanting revenge and vengeance is a huge part Of this film theme of revenge both for him and other characters and that ties into something i forgot to mention this is part of a trilogy of films called the vengeance trilogy which is an anthology series each film is is completely different and not related to each other Uh, the first one is called sympathy for mr vengeance second one is old boy and the third one is uh, lady vengeance Um, these are all excellent films old boy is the highlight but the other two are very strong as well but vengeance becomes A huge part of Odesu and who is because he trains for at this point about 10 years wanting to take revenge
0: yeah and I want to talk about the other characters for a minute because he's not the only character in the film uh, and I don't know any of their names (laughs) because I've only seen this once so maybe Andy can help me figure it out Uh, we have a wonderful female protagonist at his side Uh, yes uh, Mido is
1: is her on-screen name she's played by uh, Kang Hiajong Yes, uh,
0: these two meet shortly after he is he is freed uh, in a sushi restaurant. She, she, she's she's a, a woman who works at a sushi restaurant. I, I wouldn't even say she's a waitress, but um, she takes shine to him a little bit. He's this odd guy with a, with a terrible haircut who looks like he's got nothing left to live for, and she's like, "Well, you know, maybe I can maybe I can help him out of a jam." And she ends up as a bit of his is a bit of his sidekick on this kind of endeavor to kind of figure out where he's going and what's going on. He kind of opens up to her a little bit and, and you get a little bit of that. We've got an old friend uh, who works at an internet cafe, um, which, <laughs> which is a fascinating character development uh, who is surprised to find that his, his friend is is back, but obviously happy to help. So we've got, a, we've got a bit of an accomplice to help him out in his quest. We have a fantastic villain who I don't want to talk about too much. But he is so well played, and he's so <laughs> great as a foil for our for our Odesu, who is who is frustrated and angry and, and vengeful at the world. This guy is just like so calm and so collected and has it all together and has this sick looking kind of layer thing that's a penthouse um, that ties into the set design so fantastically. Uh, even outside of our lead, who we don't understand that well, we have great supporting characters in this film. It's an ensemble cast yeah uh
1: the the protagonist or antagonist uh lee wu jin like i said we meet him very early and and he tells you yeah it was me but i'm not going to tell you why i mean he he's like spends the film toying with odesu every time odesu thinks that he's figured something out or discovered something or gotten a step ahead he realizes that that he's not he's been outplayed outthought, and that uh like i said that lee wu jin is just one step ahead and has been toying with him this whole time. Uh, th- and this reminds me of, uh, there's this theme of, like, like I said, there's vengeance, but there's also loneliness. Isolation b- becomes very, <clears throat> they all experience it. Um, Odesu, of course, locked for 15 years. Mido also just dis- uh, there's this whole thing with ants about hallucinating ants when you're, when you're lonely and Mido does it on the subway. And then even Li Wu Jin deals with, so there's this brilliant theme of loneliness among Uh, what's happening as well
0: yeah it's it's a funny thing to have this vibrant city and feel like you're completely alone because rarely if ever we outside of like the city skyline like we're constantly surrounded by people there's constantly things going on uh in some cases our lead is fighting a lot of other people but like he still is somehow completely alone because he just has nothing left right he has like he's just been Completely out of existence for fifteen years. Like people don't know him anymore. Nobody looks him up. Like he's, you know, I'm sure they had a funeral for him at some point. Like he just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I'm, I think there's probably a larger theme there that I don't understand that I'll need to get into on second watch. Maybe that's a bit of a, a take on on culture in South Korea. Uh, I'm not sure, but I do love the way the film is shot. We need to talk yeah, about but, the cinematography a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, just the way, it has such interesting cuts. It has this thing where, uh, you know, it'll have a right side of the screen is a close up of someone's face and while someone else is in the background, it does that a lot. Just the way it cuts, sometimes it'll cut within the screen itself um, or there's camera tricks like uh, you, see, you can see on the trailer where he the scene where he falls out or kind of kicks his way out of that suitcase is, is brilliant because it looks like a normal size suitcase but it's obviously like giant if a whole man is in there.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, the the film is full of texture, uh, and it's full of great angles. Nothing is ever just like shot straight on, like uh, like Wes Anderson or anything. Everything is everything is is skewed or angled or cockeyed in a way that has beautiful framing and makes things just feel a little out of place. Like our hero, who is out of place in this world that has moved on past him that he doesn't understand. Right, technology and 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 society is different now there's a great montage as he's sitting in 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 lockup and uh we get the news flashing by and things happening in the world from 88 to 2008 um you know the, the fall of the world trade center hong kong being handed back over to the chinese chinese government like all kinds of things were happening and he completely missed him the movie also is chock full of transitions which are fantastic this movie is really good at transitions it's this really clever thing with like matte paintings uh, and kind of matte shots where it'll have a clock like an alarm clock slide into frame and slide back out for a bunch of transitions it'll do clever things with headlights and light leaks where it'll switch over scenes It's fluid in a way that feels like it's not too phony. It feels really nuanced, like somebody worked a lot at it. There are a couple of strange edits in there, though. I should mention there are a couple scenes when somebody is standing on one side of the room and the camera cuts and cuts back and they're like on the other side of the room. And you're supposed to just assume that they moved, but it's weird visually to keep up with. So for the first watch, that was a little weird for me, but I appreciated so much of what was happening around those few moments that it didn't even matter. It just kind of added to the mystery of what was happening in the film. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like I said, the the style that uh, Chen Park, uh, the director, has, it's very unique, and you can see this same style in his other films, like in the other Vengeance films. Uh, he also did a vampire film called Thirst. Um, very unique style. His American debut, it was a film called Stoker, um, which I can't remember, maybe 2010, uh, starring Misa, uh, Mia Wasikowska, is it it feels tame after seeing old boy and seeing what he what's what, what south korean like ultra violence is and then seeing like a watered down american version or american film is a is a little disappointing um but that reminds me of something else that i really want to talk about is the violence in this film
0: yeah it, it's uh go ahead zach go ahead. I, I was gonna say in a word this film is visceral uh, there is a lot of fighting. There is a lot of stabbing. There's a lot of violence, and like it's so plain. Like it feels like it was made by somebody who's just dead inside, who like <laughs> is not is not shook by that stuff at all. Like it is never, it is never like highlighted that somebody gets stabbed. They just get stabbed, and the scene keeps going. And like it feels so weird. But like I said, I think it's important because our protagonist is so disconnected from the world he's i mean he's been in solitary confinement for 15 freaking years he's he's attempted suicide multiple times like the guy isn't even supposed to be alive so anytime something happens to him that's particularly painful like he kind of just ignores it like he just he just trucks right through it and he does the same thing when he's inflicting pain on other people like it does not phase him at all and and the film is presented in that exact format Like. It is unflinching, it is unbiased, it is violence in its ultra-violent form. It reminds me of something like Clockwork Orange, like, in the way it's just like, okay, here's somebody beating the hell out of somebody else, here's Daisu getting in a huge fight with, like, 15 people, which is really cool. Here, There's a scene when Daisu eats a live octopus— Oh. It, it was actually alive like I, I remember reading about this a while back before I saw this film like straight up the dude eats alive and I'm pretty sure that the actor was vegetarian right like who didn't even oh, want to do know. it <laughs> yeah and, and he did it anyway for the take and like it is a dude eating a live animal on camera no joke that is not CGI like they actually just did it it yeah, is that's... crazy what this movie's doing. That's
1: such a brilliant scene, and even... I've seen this so many times, and it still makes me, like, uncomfortable. It's, and, like, it still makes me shiver just because it's it's so gross. And I read for, for the take, he had to eat three of them. Yeah. So I was right. like, oh, my... And they're like... it's. I mean, it's gross. It's alive. It's, like, slimy and crawling yeah. all over. Like, it's not an animatronic.
0: He's, like, he's just doing it. Like, it is, it is something you'd see on the internet now, right? They were doing this in 2003 in a film. Yeah. Um, and then there, there's also just... There's things like, like you said, the the
1: American violence in in films is very cartoonish. It's very like, think of like an older action film where it's just like, you know, you shoot the bad guys, they go down, and that's kind of it. Um, But here, it's so brutal. Like the punches, the kicks. Uh, Odesu adopts this hammer, uh, which has become really iconic, which he used to fight with. But uh, there's a a torture scene where he starts removing someone's teeth, and it is incredibly graphic, and it, it just makes you squeal. Uh, you yeah. know, and score squir- and squirm. And, and that's, we see that throughout the whole movie and it just gets more and more intense. The, the longer it goes.
0: Yeah, it really does. It, it does not pull any punches. In fact, uh, there's a couple scenes where I was surprised it didn't show more. Um, cause I figured it would have, uh, it, it is a film that is not afraid to just kind of come out and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. The, the presentation is incredibly confident. It's, it's rare that you see a movie that is so unafraid to say what this movie has to say, I, and and as far as I can tell, like other than being part of a trilogy, like for no for no real good reason, it's just old boy, <laughs> old boy has an identity all its own. It's really something else. Mm-hmm. And it is loosely loosely
1: based off uh, a manga, I believe. but from what I understand, it's it's like I said, it's just maybe takes the premise. it's not like page for page or anything like that. And of course, there's there was I think two thousand thirteen re- American remake by Spike Lee, which was
0: awful. Don't watch it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, starring Josh Brolin, right? Yeah. Have you seen it? I have. It's bad. Just a, just a byline for those of us who haven't seen it. Like, I what mean, the, what makes it so bad? Because so, I read it was a reimagining by Spike so, Lee, who is you know a revered filmmaker.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the problem is it, it misses all the part of what makes Old Boy so good is. The mystery, the noir, the the thriller aspect, and and there's none of that. It's it's very topical. It's very surface level. There's no there's no excitement. There's no mystery. There's no whodunit. Um, yeah, it's just it's completely bland of all the elements that make Old Boy so good.
0: Yeah, because you're right. It, this is a detective story at its core.
1: Yeah, it has. You know, they added a long take fight scene for just 'cause because it's in the original, but the, they lost all the. Um, interest and and the story's wildly different as well because they had to, they've Americanized it.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I did go looking because I always heard not to watch the new one. Um, and Josh Brolin was in it. and He said it was terrible. And like it, it is, <laughs> it is Spike Lee's worst like received film. It it got the least money at the box office. Like not good. So I got after I watched this, I got on Wikipedia and went looking at, at, at this entry to learn at, at this film, this version of Old Boy, the 2003 version. to Learn a little bit more about it before I review here. I also looked up. Old boy from twenty thirteen. Um man, and I, I I kinda just briefly skimmed the summary. I read the first couple paragraphs and I was like, that sounds about right. And then I skipped down to like the second to last one and I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> it should be pretty close for a remake. Like I should be able to skip to about the last paragraph and be like, Yep, okay, that kind of follows the beats. No completely different like plot and characters. And I know it's an Americanized version, but like even still you should be able to recognize some features. And like, no, it's totally, totally separated. And I was like, I I have no interest in seeing what's happening in there. The new one is not
1: based on this film. It's based, it's allegedly based on the, on the manga. But even then I don't, I don't think, but I mean this film is the classic. The 2003 version is the classic. If you're going to remake it, remake this in like I could have gone with that if he would have remade this in for American audiences. Right. Um, but it, again, it, it's like uh Bong Joon-ho says, you know, get over the one inch barrier and read subtitles.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's true. Yeah. This movie is definitely subtitled. Worth saying uh, it is, it is available in dub, uh, but I couldn't <laughs> find it, but it does I, exist. You can have, watch the dub. I have the DVD
1: and it's, it it, it has the dub as one of the options.
0: Do they have any like good voice actors on that? I'm curious. Oh,
1: I can't. I can't listen to more than like five seconds of it. I yeah, mean, I haven't
0: gone through it. Just watch it in subs. Yeah, like it's just easier. Um, you do, and which is it's tough because you do miss a lot of really cool visuals. That's so something frustrating about Parasite is there's so many frames in that film that that like looks so beautiful, and you're looking at a one inch section of the screen. But watch it twice. <laughs> that's the that's the answer. If you like it a lot, watch it again, or read really fast, or just try to pick up on context. The point is old boys a lot of fun and i really enjoyed watching it andy any other thoughts for recommendations um well
1: well like i said we've talked about meanings vengeance is it like i said it's part of the vengeance trilogy revenge vengeance is a big part of this film uh loneliness isolations another big part even our our antagonist feel even though he's not in prison is he's very lonely and he feels very isolated um, as well so it's you have these themes running underneath uh, the action the drama the mystery as well
0: mm. it's definitely something it's definitely something man uh, Andy would you recommend Old Boy
1: Absolutely. One of my favorite movies of all time. It's a great introduction into uh, South Korean cinema, especially what they were doing. This was part of the Tartan Asia Extreme kind of line of of films that were very intense. Um, It's a great place to start. It is incredibly violent. It is incredibly disturbing. Um, Just content warning
0: there, but uh, it's one of my favorite films of all time. I would recommend it as well. It is a ton of fun. It's definitely a content warning. It is a hard R. It is not for everybody. Your mom probably won't like it. But if you're looking for something offbeat, if you're looking for something a little different, all right, something that's got a fantastic story and and gripping visuals and great fight scenes, I can't underline that enough, you're going to like watching this movie. you got to get over the one-inch barrier, but you will be okay. I do want to mention this is a little hard to find nowadays, digitally. But I have a solution. I got a hack. All right. Andy, one, you can borrow his copy. I'm sure he'll loan it to anybody. (laughs) Uh, And two, I could not find this to rent on any digital service. Oh, really? Voodoo didn't have it. Microsoft Movies and TV on the Xbox didn't have it. PlayStation Network didn't have it. You can't find it on Netflix or Hulu. Uh, HBO does not have this film. Amazon Prime does not carry a digital version of this movie. But... There are services that are extensions of Amazon Prime, the little subcategories you can sign up for, a little bit like Showtime, right? You can subscribe, or Stars you can subscribe to on Amazon Prime, and it gives you an additional payment on top of your current Amazon Prime service. There are two services on Amazon Prime that carry this movie that you can sign up for free trials for, and that you can cancel as soon as you finish watching it. Those two services are Mubi, Mubi and Shudder, the horror horror service. Uh, they're both on Amazon Prime. You can get on. You can find Old Boy. You can watch it. It is one click to sign up for Mubi or Shutter. You have a trial for seven days. You can watch this movie and then immediately cancel it. That's what I did. It will cost you nothing. <laughs> so that is the way to watch Old Boy in 2020. You sign up for a fake service you don't want, and you can watch it all you want. So, yeah. man, that's the you secret.
1: know, I it was on Netflix for a while. I watched was. it on there yeah. there before.
0: Yeah, I, I've started it before because I've seen the first about 15 minutes. Uh, I don't think I ever saw him get out of the... I might have seen him get out of the room because it it's a lot at first. And I remember I watched it a long time ago. I started watching it. It was late at night and I was falling asleep and I was like, I'm not going to be committed to this movie in the way I need to be. Um, so I ended up bailing and I'm, I'm glad I did because that would have been a terrible first way to see this. It's definitely something you put down your phone and watch. I, I would recommend it in a theater if you could find it, but I'm sure... Nobody's running it. Maybe, maybe, Hey, theaters are look for something new to run. Yeah. Can I get, can I get an old boy? I'd go see this. (laughs) I dude, I would totally go see this in the theater. That'd be really cool.
1: That That reminds me. Uh, Oh yeah. I really love the score. One of my favorite scores. I listen to it all all the time. There are some, uh, there's this idea of kind of a hypnosis that happens through the film. And there's a couple of tunes or songs or jingles that accompany that. And so that's a big, becomes a big part of the score. Um, I also wanted to just mention, uh, uh, Chan-wook Park, who I think is actually Park Chan-wook is the better, um, incredible director. And he, he most recently did 2016 The Handmaiden, which is a Korean retelling of a British novel from the like 1800s or so. That's an excellent movie. Stoker was his first American-made film, which is uh, came out in 2013. Um, then, like I said... There's the Thirst, which is a vampire movie, actually, and then the Vengeance trilogy. So he's an excellent place to start if you're looking for uh, to get into a South Korean film.
0: I'm glad we got to talk about this. This and 13th. This is one of those kind of silver linings of theaters being closed, as you and I have the opportunity to talk about movies we love, uh, movies we haven't seen before that maybe we should... Um, this has been a really good one. Old, old boy was a real solid pick. I'm curious to see next time we need need to fill in, and I don't have any ideas what you're going to come up with. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Uh, with that being said, we should wrap up the show. We've been doing this for over an hour. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, Andy, if people enjoyed listening, um, but hold on, I, I do that part. Andy, what are we watching next week? That's 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 the part you do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, so next week uh, we have a couple of new releases here um, on Netflix on this Friday. Is Spike Lee's new Vietnam War epic called The Five Bloods, uh, starring Chadwick Boseman? Um, what I remember from this, the storyline is uh, five or six Vietnam veterans go back to Vietnam long after the war is over to uh, seek a treasure that was buried there. Um, and then the second film we're watching is The King of Staten Island, which is the new Judd Apatow comedy starring uh, Pete Davidson, which is a semi autobiographical. Um, film of his and that's out on friday as well that is video on demand will be 20 bucks to rent
0: yeah i'm not super excited about that but it's in our demographic all right i think people our age will probably want to watch that movie and i'll bet they won't want to pay 20 dollars. so if you want to find out how it is keep it here on off script for a brand spanking free review that'll be cool and if you enjoyed the show if you'd like to be heard today the best way you can get in contact with us is of course through social media we're on facebook on Twitter. We do stuff on Instagram. We're definitely on Facebook. We live stream the show on Facebook, in fact, where we've been live streaming this show today. So if you want to keep up with us there, you can follow us at Offscript Film Review to keep up with what we're doing. We also archive our episodes over on YouTube, and of course, our podcasts are available in audio on all of the usual channels. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. But if you want to get in contact with us directly, the best way to do that is through our website, OffscriptFilmReview.com and our email, mail at OffscriptFilmReview.com Write us up. Write us a letter. Tell us what you thought of our reviews today. Tell us what you thought of Thirteenth. Or maybe if you have any hot takes on Old Boy, on this superhero problem we seem to have in cinema. Or maybe if you have some recommendations of things we should watch next, because we're always happy to hear them. And we read correspondence on the air. I swear. With that being said, I think that covers all the bases. Andy, you're still here. Perfect. We can do the sign off. Uh, thanks for listening to Off Script, <laughs> right. the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.